0: Welcome to Data Dialogues from Equifax, a podcast about how data-driven insights can power smarter business decisions. Welcome to the Data Dialogues podcast brought to you by Equifax. My name is Rissa Redden, and I will serve as your host. Business storytelling is important, especially when you're trying to connect with your audience while clarifying complex information. The good news is that storytelling is a skill that can be learned, Practiced and refined over time. Understanding your audience and what matters most to them is important. But how can you communicate the meaning and implications of massive quantities of relevant data to your audience and persuade them to agree with your ideas and plans? In this podcast, we're putting focus on storytelling with data. I am joined by Rena Consul, Chief Operating Officer and Story Facilitator at Leadership Story Lab, who will tell us how to use story to communicate data rich messages more effectively and more memorably. Rina is an expert in helping clients find the balance between creativity and structure in business communication. Every day, she is helping people tell stories to be more persuasive and engaging in presentations. Welcome, Rina, and thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Rissa. Always a joy to chat with you.
0: Thank you. Rina, for listeners who may not be familiar with Leadership Story Lab, could you please tell us a little bit about the company and a little bit about the work that you do?
1: Yeah, sure. So, for the past 12 years, we've been doing storytelling before it was the cool leadership skill to know. We, Leadership Story Lab coaches and trains leaders, like you mentioned, to become more engaging and persuasive in their communication to help them gain a competitive edge. And we do that by giving them tools and frameworks and guidance and lots of space to practice while they try to share their data and insights more effectively for clients. For example, one of our clients, who they're a marketing agency for nonprofit companies, they tend to deliver lots of data. And as a result of the training, they were able to distill 65 pages worth of data slides down to 30 words. And, you know, being able to drill down to this key essence while explaining complicated data sets has been really meaningful and effective for them.
0: Yeah, I think raise a really interesting topic of sort of responsibility of the message and that it's not for the reader to distill the 65 pages. It's for the speaker or the presenter to distill that down. And I think we've all been met with lots of information that is being sent our way, but it's so refreshing to have something that is a distillation and is clearly articulated that it's really beautiful. And I feel like it's one of those experiences that you don't even realize it when it's happening. You just receive the information without having to do a lot of heavy lifting, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And kind of to your point, you know, there's lots of data, but the data itself doesn't create meaning. So as the storyteller, it's our responsibility to create that meaning and then share that meaning so that people can take action on it, right? Business storytelling is all about how do you persuade your audience to take action?
0: And could you elaborate a little bit more, Rina, on what is leadership storytelling with data and why is it important?
1: Yeah, great question, Rissa. So, you know, the author Alan Weiss noted, you know, logic makes you think, but emotion makes you act. And so we define leadership storytelling as that strategic sequencing of the facts and the emotion. Because we know from cognitive psychology that information is 20 times more likely to be remembered if it's anchored in a narrative. And especially in competitive situations, whether we're pitching for a new business or asking for more resources from our manager or even up for promotion, you'll find that there'll be many people with the right credentials and qualifications and that data but it's really showing your true character, who you are, and your values that help you stand out and be more memorable. And that leadership storytelling, weaving that data and information throughout your story, allows you to do this more effectively and more authentically and have that more meaningful connection with your audience.
0: Rena, I'm curious to ask you something. When I have told stories myself in a large setting or for a large event, what I found is that people will come up to me afterwards and they'll want to tell me their version of that story. And I feel like the storytelling really opens up a door for connection. Yeah. Yeah. What's your reaction to that? Do you agree? Do you disagree? I mean, tell me what you think.
1: Yeah, I do agree. And you know, I find it surprising because sometimes it's the You know what we call the oh, it's not that important. The mundane, the little details that happen in our life that we often dismiss as not interesting, but really, it's those kind of shared connection type moments that really allow you to really connect with your audience. That can make you relatable to your audience. And so, even sharing you know a quick story of how you met someone or about my kids, how they you know tangled their hair in their comb, you know, little things like that can really connect with other people. And then they're more willing to share if you create that safe space.
0: It was interesting. I opened up a conference that we had a couple of years ago now that the audience was bankers. And I was thinking about my first experiences walking into a bank. And I remembered you know, walking into the bank with my grandmother, who was the office manager for a car dealership in my hometown, and she would come in with the zipper pouch. It was the leather pouch, and she would bring the deposits to the bank. And what I remembered most was the dum-dum suckers that you would get as a kid at the (laughs) bank. And so I handed out dum-dum suckers to everybody at the event. And it was just so interesting to open up with something that perhaps was unexpected, but yet it conjures a memory for people of what it's like to have that, that experience with banking. And of course, banking has changed rapidly, but It'll be interesting to see what today's dumb, dumb sucker is. Yeah,
1: I remember my bank experiences. I would go with my mom when she'd go to the safe deposit vault and how it was so big and locked with multiple doors and all the keys involved. And I thought that was so cool and we were so special. So those are one of my memories from banking initially.
0: That's great. Another question for you, Rena. what is the difference between proving and persuading?
1: Yeah, great question. So, you know, by default, I think we're all trained through our formal education to prove, to train, to, you know, back up our answers, especially in math. We're drilled to say, show your work, show your work. And the challenges in a professional area, it's different from an academic area. And we need to understand the difference between proving and persuading. So proving is more of that strong analytical process in showing your evidence and support to your conclusion. So examples could be you know, research journals and literature, conclusions and results of statistical formulas and testing. And researchers must prove their findings to gain that broad acceptance of their ideas. While persuading, on the other hand, is getting, you know, your audience to agree with your point of view and take action accordingly. For example, politicians often use, you know, strategic messaging and select facts to arouse that emotion or support for their causes. So, you know, in data-heavy environments, you need both. You need the proving and the persuading, a balanced approach. But proof on its own doesn't necessarily mean that your audience is going to do something about it. Because we've seen, on the other hand, that people have been persuaded to do many outrageous things sometimes without any proof. And so it's just important to be aware of that difference and know which one to use when. And something, you know, we talk about often is intrigue and delight first and then data dump. And so if you're able to pique your audience's curiosity and, Get their attention span and their attention, then they're able to be with you on that journey. And at the right moment is when you can then share the data. And sometimes, if you intrigue their curiosity initially very correctly, they will actually ask you for the data first. So, intrigue and delight first is usually a good rule of thumb.
0: And who doesn't want to be intrigued and delighted in this day and age? I think that's great. I often will gift the book, Let the Story Do the Work. I'm a big believer in the book, and I feel like it's been incredibly helpful to me. And in the book, there is a chapter on storytelling with data. Could you tell us a little bit about the book and a little bit about the process for how to communicate the meaning of massive quantities of data to your audience?
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing the book. So the book is written by my good colleague and friend classmate and then founder and chief story facilitator of Leadership Story Lab, Esther Choi. It is a great resource filled with lots of different templates and frameworks and it covers a lot of different situations that where you can apply storytelling. But around data and storytelling, I like to boil it down into, I guess, three main things to consider when you are working with data and crafting your story. I would always say first is always starting with your audience. Knowing who your audience is, what do they want to know? What do they need to know? Which may be different. And then more importantly, why should they care about what you need to share? you know, helping keep that audience and purpose in mind and delivering data is really a great way to connect with them. And, you know, that we call it the curse of knowledge. Once we know something, it's often very impossible for us to imagine what it's like not to know. You know, you do all the research, you do all the analysis, you know, all the steps, you've gone through it, you know, all everything. But Take a minute to think about the audience. Put yourself in their shoes. They may not have come through that journey with you. So where are they? Peel back those layers yourself before presenting to your audience and then take them on that journey that you've been on. So I would start with knowing your audience. The second part is, you know, we kind of touched upon it a little bit earlier, was creating meaning we have a lot of data, we have a lot of information, your audience may or may not be impressed by how much you've collected or done. So create that meaning for them. For example, one of our clients used to start their presentations with, you know, your contract has a value of $30 million, a 10% increase from last year, and you have $15 million in discounts. Now, like I said, with intrigue and delight first and then data dump, this kind of takes out any kind of intrigue or mystery in what you're going to say. And so instead, start with that. Give them enough that they're intrigued and then share, take them on that journey and then weave in the data later. That proves it. So, you know, starting with your audience, creating meaning out of the data. And then the last piece is your takeaway. You know, like I mentioned earlier, Business storytelling is all about persuading your audience to take some kind of action at the end. So, what do you want them to do after they've listened to your message and shared and heard about your research or data and analysis? You know, one of a research by psychologist named Ebbinghaus is famous for the forgetting curve. And his research found that us humans, we tend to forget a lot and very quickly. So After about a week's worth of information, I think your audience typically only remembers 10% from a week ago. So it's really important to take a minute to say, after I'm done with my presentation, what's that one or two or three things you want your audience to remember, even a week, a month later. So I'd recommend, you know, emphasizing no more than three numbers at a time in your data storytelling. That doesn't mean you can't share more than that, but your story arc should really rally around those three main numbers. And the other thing to keep in mind is that most of the time, decisions are not made by just one person. It really involves, you know, multiple discussions, people you run it by, think it through. And so the simpler your message, something that your audience can repeat without you even being present, can be very powerful. So communicating your key takeaway in an easy, memorable, actionable sentence or couple sentences can really help you distill down to the essence. So, you know, starting with your audience, crafting what it means, and then thinking about what you want your audience to take away or do after listening to your presentation. And a great framework to kind of now take those three areas and your information that you've worked on is now crafting your story and remembering IRS not the internal revenue services which commonly comes to play this time of year but IRS in the fact of intriguing beginning a riveting middle and a satisfying end. So your intriguing, beginning sharing, you know, your key facts and figures, setting up a scene, but most importantly, intriguing your audience or hooking your audience. Then in the riveting middle is where you translate that data or that information into meaning. What does it mean to you and what does it mean to your audience? And then ending with your satisfying end is especially now, what do you want them to do now that they've heard? Your insights. So IRS, intriguing beginning, riveting middle, and a satisfying end. And, you know, we had a participant in one of our storytelling workshops graciously shared her award acceptance speech with us. And I thought it was a great way to merge story and data. She was honored by a Chicago charity that provides. Early education programs. And she started her acceptance speech for this award by sharing, you know, many of you know I work in financial management. I am, as they say, a numbers person. So I thought that I would talk today about numbers. Not a lot of numbers, not a financial presentation, just three numbers. The three numbers are 20, 645 and one. And she goes on weaving story with that data, starting with the number 20, and sharing a story of her aunt, and her aunt's watch, and how that situation introduced her to this charity. And now it's been 20 years of service for her. She then moves on to share the number 645. This is the number of children that attend this early childhood program. And she, shares, she talks about their programming. And also here, this is another example of she incorporates additional data here about sharing about children in poverty who are not proficient in reading by grade three are 13 times more likely to drop out of high school and how early childhood education is really important. And she ends her speech with her last number, the number one, which is each of you in the audience and concluding by sharing the impact one person can have in supporting this organization. So I thought it was a great way to give you an example, Rissa, of how others have merged story and data um, throughout to, to create an impactful message.:
0: That's a great example, and I'm reminded Rena of attending a conference a number of years ago now, and it was fascinating to me because it was a panel of marketers, maybe four or five marketers, talking about the importance of storytelling, but not one told a story. I think that there's growing recognition of the importance, but then I think you also want to see people not just talk about storytelling, but be the storyteller. So I think that was a really lovely example of that marriage of data and story. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah. I think lots of times we get so used to you know, saying we have to deliver an executive summary versus an executive story. And so we start off with presentations saying, you know, if you invest in this vertical and you estimate this kind of revenue and it'll take this much to launch, it gives everything away. And so it's okay to kind of break that up and create that intrigue by sharing enough to pique their curiosity again, but yet weave in the data and the other answers throughout your presentation as well in a story format.
0: Great. How would you recommend somebody who has an interest in becoming a better storyteller do so? What recommendations do you have for people to become better storytellers? Yeah, so I actually
1: never thought I was a good storyteller until I met Esther Choi. She really believes that it's not something, this magical gene you have to be born with. It is a trainable skill where with the right tools, guidance, and practice, you can be a great storyteller. You don't have to do superheroic things as well. Like I mentioned, even the small things, day-to-day things can make great stories. You just need the right tools and practice. So I would start with... You know, many times we're so busy putting the slides of the decks together to step back and take some time to say, hey, you know what? Now I've done all this work. How am I going to communicate that? And use IRS, that intriguing beginning, riveting middle, and satisfying end to be your guide to practice communicating your findings. The other thing as an introvert, I found this to be very comforting to me is, you know, to be a good storyteller you have to be a good story collector first. And you collecting stories to build a story library for yourself. And I have found is that asking good questions helps create that space for others to share their stories and for you to listen and then collect good stories. And that practice as well as collecting good stories together helps you become that Story connoisseur and help you spot, you know, what makes a good story? How do I deconstruct that? And then how do I now use that when I'm communicating in stories? So I would say keep practicing and keep
0: collecting. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. And I think it's so interesting, Rina, that I believe that that's one of the biggest misconceptions of storytelling is that it's innate, that you are a fully formed storyteller or you're not. Because I think that it is, as with most things, It's a skill and it's a muscle and you need to exercise that muscle regularly to get stronger and stronger with this particular skill. And one of my pandemic projects was to pursue a story facilitator certification. And I thought it was really interesting. I was just flipping through the latest Booth Magazine, University of Chicago Magazine. And there's an article from Professor Lisa Stafanek about the importance of being ready and willing to be known as a leader. And I thought that that was really interesting because I feel like what you're doing with storytelling is helping people to share about themselves to be known or to create connection or create common ground in the workplace. And I'd be curious to get your reaction to that idea of being known.
1: Yeah, I think the storytelling helps you be known on a more deeper level as well. We've worked with individuals of, you know, Oftentimes, we know what we do or how we do it, but it's really why we do it. Going off assignments, the next golden circles, why we do it and how do you articulate that why in a leadership story that really conveys your true authentic self and your values and your beliefs that really make you known. And I think storytelling is a great way to help you communicate and share that build trust with your teams as well as motivate your teams to do that.
0: I was really struck by storytelling going back a number of years ago. Now I was in an interview situation and the question that the person interviewing me asked was in your background, I see that you were strategic university, of Chicago, MBA, you know, blah, blah, blah. But can you take action? Are you action oriented? Do you have a bias for action? The question was something along those lines. And For whatever reason, in this moment in time, I thought of a picture. And so I asked, Well, can I show you a picture that's on my phone? So I reach in, grab my phone, and I show the picture. And this picture is a horse, and it's me, and it's a police officer, and it's a man standing in the background. And I said, I want to tell you about this picture. And it was leaving a festival in Winter Park, Colorado, and walking across the main highway in Winter Park, a horse was loose and it was running down the street. And you could see people in their cars sort of all looking at this horse and wondering what to do. I'm not much of a horse person, but it seemed like somebody needed to do something in this moment. So I stepped into the road and I grabbed the, I don't even know, halter. I'm sure I don't have the terminology right. And I took the horse to the side of the road. And as I was doing that, a police officer showed up and the owner showed up for the horse. And so it's this funny picture of me with the horse and the police officer and the man, and a just funny smile on my face, because this is not typical for me. And so I turned to the interviewer, and I said, so if you're curious, if I have a bias for action, I would say that yes, I do. Now, the downside of that is, I think, in the interview process, I became known as the horsewoman. But I think that that just illustrates the stickiness of story. And that it really struck me as a way to quickly and effectively communicate a bit about who I was or who I am. And that really, for me, illustrated the magic or the power of storytelling. But I do think that the point that you raise is a great one around the importance of practice and how do you take a new topic or how do you approach it sort of in a systematic or methodical way to help bring that story to life?
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. That story provides texture of who you are, Risso, even if I've never met you before. And that visual, I think, is really important as well. I'm sure that's one the interviewer might still remember because the visual, there's been research done that the visual actually, the brain processes a lot, takes a lot more input from the visual elements that we see and make it memorable. So thank you for sharing that.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure. Rena, we've talked about the importance of practice, the importance of story. Could you give us another example of a story that is, I'm certain if you're telling it, it's well crafted, but for our audience today?
1: Yeah, so we've we've worked with many data professionals, but one example in particular that comes to mind is we were working with a real estate investment hedge fund on revamping their pitch book. And You know, at that time, the fund's leader was having trouble raising more assets to manage. And when we look through the existing pitch book, we noticed that every slide was kind of answering the same question of, we're so awesome, why wouldn't any client want to invest in us? Well, of course, you know, that's what most investment pitch books look like, and, you know. If you are comparing multiple, they get lost in the competition. Everyone sounds the same. So when we started our work with them, we shifted our perspective toward anticipating the prospective clients' questions instead of focusing on the company themselves. And these questions started emerging of, you know, how did the fund have such seller performance for such a long time? Or can this team continue its track record? And so through uncovering these questions that the client would ask, we were then able to redo the story arc with the pitch book and make it more narrative focused. That revealed, Risa, kind of like you said, the texture of this team, of this company, and what it would mean to work with them. And it worked well because the firm achieved its asset raising goals within 18 months after going out with this new pitch book.
0: That's great, it's a great example. Well, this has been another great Day of the Dialogue podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Rena, any last comments or thoughts before we sign off?
1: I would challenge you all to keep practicing and would welcome you to join our Story Lab. We host it every month and it is a small group coaching environment where everyone can come with a story, get some practice sharing it, as well as get some constructive feedback. So it's a great way to start and look forward to seeing you at StoryLab.
0: Great. Thank you, Rena. And one last question for you. For anyone who would like to connect to learn more, where can they find you? Yeah,
1: you can find me at
0: leadershipstorylab.com. Great. Rena. thank you so much for joining us for today's Data Dialogues podcast and for this fascinating conversation. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Data Dialogues from Equifax. If you like what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button to be notified of future episodes and leave us a review. To keep our legal team happy, we'd like to remind you that nothing in this podcast is legal advice. And we recommend to always consult with your own legal representative to ensure your data use is handled properly. Also, the opinions and views expressed in the podcast are not intended as hard facts and advice. They're also not necessarily the views of Equifax.